Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Als das Kind Kind war, war das die Zeit der folgenden Fragen. Warum bin ich ich und warum nicht du? Warum bin ich hier und warum nicht dort? Wann begann die Zeit und wo endet Schön, der Raum? Ist das Leben unter der Sonne nicht bloß ein Traum? Ned, um, how was the Ruler Classic? Oh. Is it still called the Ruler Classic? No. No, it's oh. not. It's called Ruler Live. But it's the Ruler Classic. The Ruler Live. Yeah. Oh. It was um, quite, I would, I would describe it as febrile, David. Fe- what does that mean? I don't really know, but that that's entirely in keeping with the way we pod. Um, is <laughs> <laughs> febrile, uh, I want to think it means... Um, Slightly vibrating. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of with, um, with life, but not in a necessarily a controlled way, in a slightly uncontrolled manner. It's, it's, it's very uncontrolled, especially the Thursday night. It's a little bit, um, especially after the pandemic. I was saying this something yesterday. This I think it. probably the, the best thing that could have happened to the Ruler live event was having a year out because it was getting way too raucous on those Thursday nights yeah. in the past. Yeah. And it overwhelmed the rest of the event. Mm. So and then it was starting to fade out. So it's kind of good. Well, uh, that it had that vibe again, it, it, or not? It, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't unraucous on Thursday night, David. I have to say, um, it was raucous, was it? Yeah, and in fact, you say it's good, maybe that it calmed down a bit by simply not happening <laughs> during the pandemic. That certainly sort of took some of the steam out of Thursday night by being cancelled. <laughs> Um, but because of the pandemic, I think everybody is still quite overwhelmed with the fact that, you know, for better or worse, for right or wrong, we can convene in closed spaces in large numbers, you know, and we can do these things, whether it's a great idea or not. I don't know, really. I'm sensing from, I'm sensing from what you're saying is that it, it, it was quite loose. Well, David, imagine the scene, you know, the ruler classic struck live situation. You've attended it before. Um, there was a famous night, wasn't there? A good three or four years ago when Christian Prudhomme and you, having had dinner somewhere, <laughs> strolled onto stage and kind of entertained the masses. Um, so, so take the spirit of that encounter and then put it into this context. Um, on the Thursday night, they had scheduled at 10 o'clock at night um, me to come on stage and host Have I Got Cycling News for You. Oh, uh, yeah, I was supposed to be you, you, we want to, to be <coughs> Yeah, you were busy doing... Or you but, thought you were going to be busy anyway, so you couldn't come. Yeah. Um, in, in, with the benefit of hindsight, I really wish you'd been there. It was... I mean, not that our panel weren't... <laughs> not that our panel weren't excellent, but um, a slightly more mature head might have just levelled. We, we had some youngsters on the panel, David. Oh, no. Exuberance of youth. Um, and and oh, we no. started at 10 o'clock at night. And for some of them, it had been a long day. Um, on the panel, we had Laura Winter... And Peter Kenyuk as Team One. Okay. okay. Are you seeing? Already getting an impression of yin, yin and the yin. The yin and the yin. And then on Team Two, we had another yin <laughs> in the shape of Adam Blythe. Oh, no. Damn your eyes! You'll turn your back Damn on your me! Eyes. Damn your eyes! And, um, and uh, his teammate, who I'd never met before, actually, um, who was at, who was wonderful company and very amusing and really really sharp witted and I I doubt you know him actually David Ryan Mullen have you have you met Ryan I know of him I, we've we've crossed paths like well probably more like ships in the night yep but yeah 
I do know him. So we went through the various rounds, um, and it was a lot of fun, actually. It was, it was a lot of fun, but it was loose, to mm. say the very least. It was mm. loose. And, it, of course, um, that game show finishes with the final round being the caption round. So each team is given a kind of picture to caption, come up with a funny caption for right at the mm. beginning of the, the show. And at the end, they have to say what they've come up with. You know, and of course, um, Laura and Pete hadn't come up with anything for theirs really particularly. Um, okay, yeah. But uh, Blythe and um, and Mullen were given a picture from the Tour de France of Eddie Merckx and Mark Cavendish talking to one another at the beginning of that stage. Do you remember stage nineteen or whatever it was? The, the cuddles, all the cuddles and all that. But they're they're gazing fondly at each other, and Mark is clearly talking to Eddie, and Eddie's listening. And that was the mm. picture. And they just they they went off on a they started riffing. Ryan basically playing, because Ryan's a scouser, he's from Birkenhead, playing the voice of Cav, you know, doing a very adequate Cav impression, and Blythe doing his classic kind of Flandrian, oh, you know, kind of Kenny Van Flaming kind of in the voice of Eddie. And um, I could only make out about 30% of what they were actually saying, but it was genuinely very funny. Um, And that went on for a bit, and I thought, that's it. We've brought the evening to a riotous close. Everybody loved it. And I went, ladies and gentlemen, the winners. And I was just about to do that and give it to Blythe and Mullen, Team 2, when all of a sudden Pete Kenyuk stood up representing Team 1, rushed to the front of the stage and produced a, a, a monologue of Beckettian proportions. It was like a stream of consciousness channeling the spirit of Mark Cavendish in the accent of Mark Cavendish. I literally only understood about 15% of what was said, but it, it, wow. brought, it brought the place to their... I mean, it, honestly, it brought the house down. <laughs> it, was, really? it, was a, it was a performance of considerable genius by Pete Kenyuk. It, ca- oh, it wow. came from nowhere and it went to the stars in three sublime minutes. Oh, it, was a, wow. it was an extraordinary poetic piece de resistance with which to round, up, round off Thursday night. At the ruler line. Oh, so that sounds like it went spiffingly well. I've given you the highlights. <laughs> that was fun, David. Hey, listen, yeah. were you, are you going to ask me about the, um, the the bit of random German that we had at the beginning of the of the podcast? I am going to ask you about that because um, it's uh, it's random. Yeah, and I love the fact that you're building this amazing Germanic kind of thread through Never Strays Far. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, well, it, I'm all in. Cool, cool. Well, well, yeah. That's, in fact, that gives me pause for thought now because obviously we haven't edited this and put it up live yet because we're literally recording it now and mm. I'm opening my mouth. So I haven't, we haven't decided whether this is a straightforward Never Strays Far, maybe another because we've got a little bit of Ireland content still to come, another Never Strays Far, or even given the way I've kicked it off, maybe a little bit of a Never Strays Farad. So I'll have a little think about mm. that. <clears throat> all those options are a medley. A medley, perhaps. Um, it's like Queen on stage at Live Aid. Is that what they did? Did they do a medley? Did I they? Think they did a medley? I think it was amazing. I think he started with Bohemian Rhapsody and then just ripped through them. Ah! Did I tell you it's about probably the greatest medley, greatest medley of all time? Did I tell you about when I met Brian May? No, you didn't. Um, well, it just sounds like I mean the hair. I'm, it, it was like it. Yeah. It was because you know what Brian May. It's almost like Slash from Guns N' Roses was inspired by Brian May. A lot of people have been inspired by Brian May. Yeah, he's so. He's, what, what happened when you met well, Brian May? I'm, now I'm hesitating as to whether or not I tell this story because it just sounds like a. Is it super normal? No, is it super normal? It's a very it? super normal story, really. But it sounds like the you know the kind of tittle tattle of a D-list celebrity saying you know he was. But it's true. It, uh, I was at, I was invited to Al Murray's fortieth quite a long time ago actually. Sorry, Al, but um. His 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 fortieth birthday party down at some swanky hotel in um in London, and I hadn't seen Al for a good few years, so it was really nice just to um just to stand with him for ten minutes and catch up. And we were we were kind of like locked into conversation and chatting because we've known each other for years since we were kids. So it was really nice, yeah. And and I was chatting away to Al when all of a sudden this figure kind of ghosted up to join us, and it was Brian May, <laughs> and and Al. Uh, turned kind of looked at me and slightly rolled his eyes and went uh, uh went uh brian this is ned ned this is brian may off of queen <laughs> and, I went, <laughs> and then with that with that al just walked off <laughs> leaving leaving me leaving me talking to the mop-haired rockster uh brian may <laughs> 
It's like I'm, I'm, I'm on my table. I'm just rubbing circles with my finger. I'm like, so, uh, Brian. Literally. But the weirdest thing about it was, David, this was 2010. I know for a fact it was 2010 because it was around about, it was late, early summer, 2010. And Brian May, quite how he established it, he established very quickly that I was off to go and cover the Germany World Cup for ITV, sorry, the, the, the World Cup in South Africa for ITV. And he said to me, I swear to God, he said to me, he said, oh, that's interesting because I've written an England World Cup song. And I'm trying to get Ooh. someone to take it on and kind of like, you know, perhaps you could have a word with ITV on my behalf. And so within about 30 seconds of Al walking off, I'm suddenly Brian May's agent. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry, Brian, I got this. I got Leave this. it with me, Brian. Yeah. And then I wandered uh, off. You got, a, you got a tape or something? Later on that evening, um, uh, I had another embarrassing encounter with, um, what's his name? Oh, I've forgotten his name. Coldplay. Who's the lead singer of Coldplay? Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, um, Mar- Chris Martin. Um, Chris Martin. Yeah. But I'll save that for yeah. another podcast. Um, yeah, save that. Save the Chris one. Vim Vendors, um, the, 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 the random German at the beginning of this, um, of this cycling podcast. Can I, can I just, just, just before we go further into Vim Vendors, <laughs> he reminds me of um, the director who made the submarine film. Das Board. Yeah. Who directed Das Board? I don't know. Who did that? I don't know. The internet will tell you, but you, you know, because he reminds you of the director who directed Das Board. Well, it's that whole kind of, when, when you move into Germ, Germanic and Scandinavian directors, I kind of, they all merge into one for me. So what's Vim Vendor's done that I and our listeners will know? Well, in particular, Paris, Texas. Yeah. No. I haven't watched that. Okay, watched that, that won all sorts of Oscar-y things and stuff, yeah, in the mid-1980s. And then in 1987, he produced, I think by a long way, his masterpiece, which um, is, which we've, I've just quoted at the beginning. So the, the, the clip that you heard, many mm. will resonate with a lot of people, actually, David, um, comes from the great Himmel über Berlin, which means literally translated, sky above Berlin. But in English, it was given the um, English title, Wings of Desire. Okay, which is a which is a wholly inadequate translation, um, really, but it's born of, and you'll be able to identify with this being a, a linguist, it's born of the fact that um, the, the phrase Himmel über Berlin um, means, yes, it does mean sky above Berlin, but it also, the word Himmel also means heaven. Yeah? In fact, isn't that the same yeah. in French? I think it is. Ciel is both heaven and sky, isn't it? I don't know. I, th- I think I'm right in saying that. So there's the ambiguity in most languages between s- the words heaven and sky. Uh, Arch, can you close the door, please? Yeah. So um, anyway, so it was, given the, it was given the title Wings of Desire. And the story is, uh, it's a lyrical two, two and a half hour film. And I started watching it again with Kath last night. Um, we had it projected in our living room, massive projector in the living room. And I was captivated by it once again. And... Um, the, the the story is to kind of you know very briefly. It's about angels who um, float through Berlin in 1987, which was still divided heavily by the Berlin Wall, and they are invisible to humans, to mortals, except for children who can not only see them but can uh, speak to them. Yeah, and so and they just drift around. They they sit next to people on on the underground trains. They sit next to people in the laundrettes. They go into people's bedrooms and just place a little consoling hand. They're, they're very mm. benign angels. Place a little hand on the shoulder of people and put an ear and listen to people's thoughts. So this constant, they, all they're doing is they can hear people's mm. thoughts and the thoughts are just through this wonderful soundscape drift through, drift through the pictures. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. And the bit, that, the bit that you heard right at the beginning, which starts, it's the first, it's actually, this is a refrain of the very first line in the film, war," which means um, when the child was a child. And it goes on from there. And so the bit you heard says, when the child was a child, that was the time of these questions. Why am I me? And why not you? Why am I here? And why not there? When did time begin? And where does space end? Isn't life under the sun just a dream? And I thought, watching this last night, I thought basically that sums up our quest in Never Strays Far, David. 
Those mm. questions are the questions of a child. Why am I here and not there? Why am I me and not you? Um, mm-hmm. When does time begin and where does space end? Uh, that's us, isn't it? We're just we're just um, wide-eyed but children. It's really, yeah, it's really interesting to say that. Um, because also uh, some of the reading I've done of in the last few years, and when I'm still in the, the midst of children, uh, 10-year-old, 8-year-old, and 5-year-old, and they see the world differently. Completely. They see everything. Uh, and there's this whole psychedelic movement and all these different things going on at the moment and how our mind has so much potential but it gets closed down the order we get and because we get conditioned but actually when you're a child you see things that people don't see and you'll never see again because it gets beaten out of you so the there is something to be said for that because i still think uh sadly uh they'll grow out of it Mm. they'll grow out of seeing the world uh the way they see it in those early years which is the way we should all see it um but we're conditioned to see it in a different way so there is a, a resonance I like about that. Yeah, and do you, do you do you remember from your childhood that um, I'm not expecting you to, to to know what I'm talking about here, but you may know what I'm talking about. But I've often mm. spoken to people uh, who've had this kind of common shared experience um, at some point uh, undefined in their childhood when you mm. become aware for the first time of um, you become self-reflexive, so you become aware mm. of your place objectively as seen by others. You know, mm. it's almost like, um, yeah. you know, because when you're, when you're a newborn, clearly you have no sense of self. You know, it's that mirror moment, isn't it? Oh, that's me. Yeah. And that's how the world perceives me. You know, that kind of, mm. and it's, um, I think, you know, without getting too deep, but that's, that is the, um, the prelapsian state, isn't it? Mm. So that's the Garden of Eden. Mm. That's the fig leaf. You know, yeah. that is. I was, I was, I was 12, I think. 12. Pretty, that's pretty late. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was holding it off. Yeah. yeah. 12, what, what, why do you say, can you pin it down to a, a, a specific memory then? Or? Uh, yeah. My parents saw me they were getting divorced in the middle of the night and I went to school the next day and I walked through the, the, the normal walk I'd always done, well, for the four years. And for the first time, I, I watched my feet go through the grass. And up to that point, I'd never, never noticed it. And up to that point, I'd always been, uh, everything's just, life is just, it's all very simple and lovely. That is. And then I was forced to look around and go, oh, my feet are going through grass. That is, I and think ex- I became, that is exactly, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly what I'm yeah. driving at, I think. Yeah. 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 So all of a sudden I realized that uh, I'm not just me, I'm everything else. Mm. And so I was 12 when I realized that. Yeah. I was bloody pissed off yeah i bet yeah. i bet so i bet so yeah but that's what uh, and i think that's what's uh, what's lovely about that i think the longer you longer you can keep children in that lovely beautiful state of mind where there is no sense of self the better yeah the moment you get a sense of self is it becomes very complicated but the curious thing is isn't it yeah. that um the curious thing is is that you know part of the you know listen i, I don't by any means suggest that the only thing to do on earth is to have children and procreate and kind of continue mm. the species because clearly that's decisions that you and i have made mm. and many people make but lots of people are, are very happy and very fulfilled not mm. becoming parents um but i think one of the impulses to become a parent is um kind of to to relive that phase of your life a little bit through the eyes of your children so you know, it's mm. it's a joy to behold. It's basically a joy to behold, isn't it? When when they're in that state, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's an absolute gift. Yeah, it's an absolute gift to see uh, to to have the privilege to have children. Yeah, I I, I love it. So the other great thing but about yeah, so that's where we are. The other great thing about Wings of Desire or Himmel über Berlin is I might have been eleven by the way, or maybe ten and a half. Well, no one's going to pick that up. That's one floating fact that no one, yeah, uh, with the possible exception of your family. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Do they listen to this podcast, David? Do they ever listen? I think they do occasionally. Yeah. Not often. But yeah. Okay. Well, hello, David's family. Mum does. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah. Hello, Avril. Um, um, yeah. yeah. She might pick you up on it. <laughs> In fact, she will pick you up on it if, if you're, <laughs> if you've picked the wrong year. But there we go. Yeah. Um, so, but, but go back to all that. Mm. So, so regards, let's go back to our, um, our, our list of things we we're going to talk about. Yeah. 
what have we got going on? Well, we could- I think this is actually, this is ex- as good a time as any to, to turn things around. So I think this is really important and lovely is Roadbook 2021 is out. Yeah, it is. It's back from the printers, David. It's a thing. It's here. Look, I've got physical. There he goes. There it is. Boom. Oh, God. It's got Cav on the front. Can you so see that, that, that yeah. holding his head? Oh, you got that's a, It's the Chala- Chateau. Uh, it's the. Chateau St- Win number two. That's yeah, win number two. Yeah, yeah. Because it's that nice. disbelief. And um, so we've given it a slight, a slight, you know, like last year was the first year we, because it was such a weird year and it was so exceptional, we wanted to give it a, a little stamp of difference. And last mm. last year, we, the, you know, the Roadbook logo that appears on the spine, that thing, we actually decided to break it slightly, fracture it, you know, as a little reminder that of what 2020 was. Um, yeah, and in 2021, we fully expected to go back to our normal kind of um, you know monogram. But actually, we've continued that fractured monogram this year, and we've we've given the oh, year nice. we've given the year a, a different motto. Last year, the motto we had was um, a, a year apart, 2020, and mm. b- because it was it was you know for obvious reasons, COVID reasons, it was we were all apart. Um, but also, it was such an exceptional year, wasn't it? In particular, 2020 I'm talking about. In particular, because of the manner in which Tadej Pogacar won the Tour de France. If that's the one standout memory, you know, mm. of last year, it was probably Pogacar on the Planche des Belfis. Mm. And prior to that, in 2019, you think back, you know, there are probably one or two just absolutely outstanding memories. Julien Alaphilippe's time trial in Tapo for me, is probably the defining image of 2019. That was amazing. 2018, which was our first edition of the book, um, was the, the year Chris Froome won the Vuelta, uh, sorry, the Giro in that, in that ridiculous fashion, you know? And, um, but the really interesting thing about 2021, I think, David, is, you know, thinking back on the year of racing, is I don't think it contained that one single image that define i don't think it did i think it had no there wasn't there wasn't an iconic kind of one moment, moment yeah that, that grasped it and and also i just think also from for our listeners because i think it's really important for people to for to you to reiterate what the roadbook is yeah well it, i mean it contains it's the wisdom of cycling isn't it so i mean i think i think most of our listeners will know this but it does contain Everything. But they won't know what wisdom is. They won't know what they wisdom will. is. They because... will. Well, okay, maybe they don't. All right, so wisdom tells you everything you need to know about the year in cricket, and it's been existing for 150 years. Our book is, I hate to say it, I think it's more beautiful. I think it's more beautiful than the wisdom book. And it contains, it contains, without going crazy, it contains all the pertinent information from races you will have followed um, and races you knew, you will have known nothing about. And the longer that they gather dust on the shelf, the better they become because they're amazing to look back on. You know, it's such mm. an amazing resource. But, uh, you know, equally uh, equally important alongside that, there's these welter of infographics. One of the best ones we developed this year, it's my personal favourite, was, <laughs> was so De Koenig Quickstep won how many races? Don't know, like hundreds of the buggers um, once yeah. again. And they're the most winning team. Um, Johnny Long, who, who works with me on the infographics, I... Um, he came up with this brilliant idea. He said he's, he's basically done a map of the the proximity of branches of Lidl to the finish line of all the victories. <laughs> no so he's, he's worked out where the nearest Lidl was to a to a Deconic Quick Step victory and the that's furthest the away. Most, and the furthest that's away. That's the most amazing matrix ever. <laughs> it's really good. Then there are some slightly more. Anyway, there's loads and loads of kind of crazy infographics. Um, and then there are really beautiful set piece writing by Dan Martin, by Cecilia Utrup Ludwig, by Tom Pidcock, who's written. I saw the graphic of Cecilia. Isn't it great? The the power. Oh, it's, it's so cool. She's really, you yeah, know, so and cool. Cecilia, um, I think she picked that up on Twitter and she said to me, she sent me a message saying, oh, can you send me that image? Obviously, we're sending her a book. It's only just come back from the printers, but mm. send me that image um, and I'll, because I really want to, is it okay if I tell my followers about it? <laughs> yeah, that's okay, oh. Cecilia. You can do that. Um, so she's really, um, it. share it. Lizzie Diagnan. So we've also got original writing by Lizzie Diagnan, Jasper Steven, Tade Pogacar, Dame Sarah Story, and as I said, Tom Pidcock. Plus, we've got Super essays cool. written by American writers, um, uh, Belgian writers, and uh, a Rwandan cycling journalist called Peter Kamasa. Um, it's really good. It it's is, really cool. I'll just jump in here. So, so for our listeners to understand, so it is, um, it's like an encyclopedia Britannica encyclopedia of the years bike racing, yeah. but it's done with, with, um, 
in a beautiful old school hardback and lots of pages, lots of information, wonderful writing about each race, but also you list the results. Yeah, there's that. The results of each race. They're the kind of, ba- and, they're but the then, kind of background. I mean, they're always there if you want to mine th- a bit of information. But I think it's really important because you've always got that. Yep. You can flick through yep. there and see that. But then you've got the lovely, you've got the essays, you've got the colour of the people in there. It's team by it's team, unique, sort of rider by rider, yeah, broken down. It's, it's a but unique, do you know a really spooky thing, thing? A really spooky thing happened this year, David. Um, Peter Cossins, who writes our obituaries, which are beautifully researched. And by the way, you know, a lot of the people who died this year, you will have heard of Heiko Salzwedel, for example, mm. um, Bernard Tapie, of course, of La Vie Claire. You know, his oh, life yeah, is his life yeah, is remembered. Yeah. Um, but there are many, many people who perhaps you won't have heard of, who you will be f- deeply fascinated by. But Peter, Peter um, rang me several points throughout this year and said, Ned, the amount of work I'm having to do on these obituaries this year is significantly up on previous years. Huh. And it's COVID. Oh, really? it's, co- it's COVID. You know, a lot of these people are dying of huh. so-called natural causes at late, very late yeah. on in life. And so that's the kind of... Really, you know, salutary yeah. kind of yeah. um, side effect of the year. Yeah. Anyway, listen, beautiful. So, book. so it's on launched. that somber note, so, yeah. So on on that somber note, um, how do people buy it? www.theroadbook.co.uk. All the offers and everything there. And once you've bought it this year, if you're buying it for the first year, there's lots of special offers to kind of backfill your collection, which starts in 2018, and, and kind of like build the collection from here because mm. it's it is a collector's piece. And I'm very, yeah. I'm and very in, proud. In of the it. Show, and in the show notes of this episode, there will only be that link. All right. So well, just go to show uh, notes you say that, but it. there might be more. There might be more because I think Peter, I think Peter Kenyuk, I think we, we, he's got a little thing. Oh, his video. His little video. So we need to, we need to. Um, but while we're, it's Wahoo. I'm Garmin. I can't really promote that. But I'm very oh, happy I see. To have that in there. Okay. Yeah. Let's put it in there because right. I, I think it's a great video. So put it in there. I don't care. Oh, you're rogue, man. I love it. You're a rogue. While, we, while we're talking about um, cycling, David, there is a bike race going on at the moment. There is a bike race. Is yeah, there? there is a bike race. I think there's two. I think the t- there's a tour of Venezuela going on at the moment. It's a 2.2 race. Okay. But the one that really caught my eye was today, stage nine of the Tour du Faso finished. Tour, the Tour of uh, Burkina, Burkina Faso. Faso in West Africa. That finished today, stage nine. The general classification uh, was won by Daniel Bichelman of the, um, and I never know how to pronounce this, the Maloha Pushbikers or whatever they're called team. I think based in New York. Anyway. I think you nailed it. German, German, German continental team. So a German rider won it. 33-year-old Daniel Bichelman. Um, biggest thing he's ever done. Won the GC in this race. And um, if you don't know much about this race, that's absolutely fine because I didn't until I did a modicum of research before we started podcasting today it started it start watch watch my eyes as well david i'm not even looking at my notes it was for i know I, I, it's I, as I, if i, I had it's as if i have auto cue um it was first raced in 2000 damn your eyes damn, <laughs> damn them you turn your back on me to look at your notes damn your eyes and your confidence <laughs> you look at your notes in front of me do you look at wikipedia <laughs> do, it's not, how dare you know what you're talking about <laughs> First, Damn your eyes. <laughs> first, stop it. It was first raced in 2004, um, the Tour of uh, the Tour du Faso, um, and it's only missed one edition since, which is pretty impressive. Um, and that was the, the 2020 race for obvious COVID reasons last year. Burkina Faso itself was a former French colony, as many were along that kind of western coast of, uh, of Africa, um, which gained independence in 1958. It's a country of 21 million people. And this uh, surprised me. Don't know why it surprised me. Only surprised me because I'm ignorant, David, to be honest. But it is a 60% Muslim country, um, which kind of mm. interested me. And they got a stage win on their uh, native tour, I think on stage three or something like that. But I love the mix of nationalities that picked up victories at this race. Um, most of the stages are kind of rolling or fairly flat. I don't know if Burkina Faso has a great mountains that can go up. It probably has great mountains, but whether or not there are roads that go up there, who knows. Um, but the, there were stages won by Belgian riders, Burkina Fasans, uh, a rider from the Ivory Coast. Two different riders won um, stages from Germany, an Algerian, and a rider from Cameroon, who picked up the last stage that finished today. So um, it's cool, isn't it? I mean, that is man alive. Yeah. You know, You know what the first thing that comes into my head when you say Cameroon? 
World Cup 1990. Roger Miller. Roger Miller, World Cup 1990. Yeah. I met him once. That's... <laughs> did you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> name dropping everywhere but it wasn't like Brian May it was, it was actually in the context of a World Cup where he was I think he's working, working as a coach yeah. now that was a great moment wasn't it do you know who I watched yeah. that you, do you actually remember watching that match England England versus Cameroon kind of, quarterfinal in 1990 World Cup I, I do because I was I was on the cusp of going to Hong Kong you'd have been about 12 so you'd have just become I a. Still, I was, you'd have just become was, a kind of was, sentient human being at that point I just, that's when I was just going to Ellsworth Grammar School and it was all very English and I was Scottish and I was, I had still the legacy of the 86 World Cup um, where I was, where I'd been conditioned, conditioned by my grandma to enjoy Argentina's success. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, so I was very joyful to watch Cameroon do well. Um, But yeah, the football, football man. Yeah. That's your other projects, isn't it? Yeah, don't talk to me about the football book. It's giving me kittens at the moment. <laughs> she's going to tell you a story. No, it's not a, sto- not a story, yeah. but it's quite it's quite funny actually because um, <laughs> give me kittens. Well, it is such a good. Line. Well, it is because like I've I've finished writing this football memoir, which is basically kind of a little bit. I suppose it's I don't know. It's a curiously personal book, but it's about it's the closest you get to a proper. It's the closest you'll get to an autobiography. A little bit. It's a kind of weirdly about my childhood and about my relationship with my dad, and and, and but it's also yeah. largely it's about football and the things that I witnessed there when I was working in it, and mm-hmm. how I kind of fell in love with it in a strange way, and then fell out of love with it. So it is a little bit self indulgent, <laughs> but along the way, well, that's the point. Yeah, along the way, I'm, I kind of like it's, it's it's intended to amuse and interest. You know, it's not intended to be a slog. We're at that stage, you'll, you'll remember this from publishing books, David, where um, publishers come to you and say, do you think you can go to anyone for an endorsement, like a, a quote for the cover? Is there anyone who you think might be able to, <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. And you go, oh God, yeah. okay. So, um, so I'm not going to name him. I'm not going to name him, but he's someone we, I know, I know, I know. he's brilliant. Yeah, go <laughs> I'm on. not going to name him and nor are you, right? even though you might have guessed who it is. <laughs> quite a while ago i sent the pdf of the draft like to this person saying you know listen this uh, this is a thing i'm really reluctant to ask you but you know i've known you for a long time it'd be a real it doesn't have to be much you know but if you were minded to flick through the the draft and if you like what you see read the uh, synopsis take it take it or you know take it or leave it if and if and if it's wholly inappropriate forget this conversation ever happened you know like that well, I haven't heard anything back. <laughs> and now it's like, mm. and now it's really awkward because I can't, you can't chase it because you've already, you've met, you've made no, it, you, you've you made can, it very, no, 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 because you've already it. said that thing about if, if mm. this is inappropriate, we'll just pretend this conversation never happens, which is obviously what this person has yeah, done. They've, they're pretending true. this conversation. So I now can't say, you know, that thing I said about pretending this conversation never happened. Well, forget that. What's going on? Mm. You know, um, so to the- <laughs> I've got that exactly going. <laughs> I know exactly where you are because I think we all do it. It's you're fishing for a job or what I do with investment chapter three, you kind of fish out the first one and then they don't get back to you like, hmm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do I follow up on that? Yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't. But it, 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 it. it kind of riddles you. But it does make you. It does make you think. Mm. Oh, I need to. The next person I send it to it has to be slightly different. Yeah, because clearly it might know. just be. It might just be. Uh, would you mind if you said this? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Dear so and so, I have like, pre-prepared a quote for the, the cover. <laughs> you have two options now: accept or decline. It just no. Don't just give them. Don't give them yes two options. No. no, just give a cl- click here to <laughs> confirm. <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Click here to confirm. <laughs> and just have the list of different people and different things. Yeah. Yes. Let's just lower the barrier of entry. Don't ask them to read the book. That's a waste of time. I know, I know. Not even a synopsis. Just give them the quote they're going to say that will make them look good. Yeah. And just ask them if they're happy with it. Anyway, uh, the, the paranoia sits deep with me now, within me now, David. To the extent that I dreamt about this person last night. In fact, Ooh. I dreamt about it. I, I, we, me and my, my, my youngest, we were walking through um, this little cobbled... This is a dream. <laughs> that just, just, just it's morphed into dream. I was ask. We were walking through this tiny little internal courtyard in this beautiful medieval, quite warm 
autumnal but warm city late at night and we walk past a group of diners eating al fresco just coming towards the end of their meal and this journalist in question was one of them yeah and but the weird thing was he he kind of caught your ned he kind of hailed me over and i thought brilliant he's going to tell me that he likes my football book right but he didn't. He, he spoke to me about something else. And if I told you what he spoke to me about in this dream, it would give away his identity. So I won't. Um, so but anyway, I went over and we made conversation. And, and my youngest was with me there. Um, and um, I became aware that the, the, the seven or eight people around the table with this person in question were really quite important people. Many of them I thought I should recognize, but didn't quite. Um to my great surprise, Kwasi Karteng, the government minister, the minister for Don't know who that is. business or something like that. He's one of the Boris Johnson cabinet. He was there. And so too was Delia Smith. Oh, nice. That's lovely. Um, that's an anchor and that's, that's a port in the storm. Uh, and what really amazed me about that, well, I was introduced to Delia Smith, like a bit in the style of Brian May and Al Murray. It was like... Mm. Um, Delia, do you know Ned? Ned, do you know Delia? And we didn't know. At which point... Delia was Watford, yeah? Uh, Norwich. Very good, David. Norwich. Yeah, and still Norwich, is, as far Norwich, as I know. Norwich. But at which point, my, um, so my youngest, Edie, just um, launched themselves at, at Delia and went, you're my hero. And kind of like started hugging Delia and I didn't know what to do. And then I woke up. That's a super interesting dream. Uh, so effectively, you you actually felt safe walking through that sounds like a classic Tour de France situation. Mm-hmm. Where it's an evening. Fougère. Something that might be Fougère or, or kind of yeah. like one of them places. Or I, I, I'm envisaging Carcassonne. Could be. Could have been Carcassonne. Could have been. It's that kind, kind of, of vibe. Faux medieval. That's where those people would hang out. Yep. And <laughs> it's quasi Carte and Delia Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they've gone um, pseudo-medieval. Yep. And uh, with Edie, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so I guess Delia was a port in the storm for you because you felt like you're an outsider like me. And you saw Edie jump onto that mm. and you were like, I don't really know what to do with this one. Because I think tricky. it's genuinely, yeah, you don't really need to go much far with this. No. I think, uh, to be honest with you, you gave away, because I, I thought we were talking about an athlete you were trying to get the, the quote from. No. And you've now given it away as a journalist. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't so, an athlete, so that's okay. So, yeah, oh, you were thinking Chris Froome. No, athlete. Oh, oh, I was, you... I was thinking Steve Gerrard. Oh, Stephen Gerrard. Steve oh, no, Gerrard. I've already tried Steve Gerrard. He's never got back to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's Richard Williams. <laughs> yeah, it's Richard. It's Richard. Oh, well, this, is, this has gone viral now. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll text him afterwards as well. We'll just, we'll just bombard him. <laughs> He's lovely, Richard. He'll do it. <laughs> this is the point. <laughs> oh, good grief. This has okay. all gone right, badly wrong. Um, <laughs> should we talk about cycling a little bit more? Yeah. I, I've done another little trip to Ireland, David. Oh, yeah. What was that all about? I'm, I'm, I'm off the back of this. Okay. So, so, so this is a, to, well, it's, a series of learning more about Irish cycling. Yeah, it's a few days more filming. So we're nearly done with the filming of the kind of um, uh, the history of Irish cycling documentary. But this time I went, uh, I went over there for three days. And in successive days, um, I caught up with, uh, spent an evening with Sam Bennett in um, Carrick on Shore, which is where he lives. Um, when he's not in Monaco. <laughs> home of King Kelly. Home of King Kelly. <laughs> when he's not in, when he's when he's when not he's in, in Monaco. Monaco. I mean, the the, dis, the difference between Carrick on Shore and Monaco is absolutely extraordinary when you think about it. But um, but he was great. He was great company and so interesting and came out with some great lines because, you know, I hadn't quite appreciated how, a bit like yourself really, and a bit like so many other people, he didn't come from a cycling background at all. You know, his, mm. his dad was a huh. professional footballer in Belgium. You know, not at the top level, oh. at a second division kind mm. of level. And they came back when his dad's career was finished. Sam was four years old. So he'd been born in Belgium. He's four years old. Came back to Carrick on shore and, um, and uh, didn't really kind of like, didn't, didn't warm to, you know, his dad said, get in the football team, son. You know, get in that. But down there, the Gaelic games are really big as well. Um, oh, it's like so Gaelic, stupid, Gaelic yeah. fo- football, big. football's really huge. Gaelic football's really huge there. And hurling's really big down there. Hurling's amazing. Sam didn't yeah. want to get involved in any of that. Didn't like the team thing. 
didn't kind of do it for him. So I think his dad, in slight desperation, kind of hooked him up with a with a cycling club, you know, to see if that floated his boat. And so, not, so what I'm trying to tell you is that the family, even though they came from this tiny, tiny town of Carrick-on-Shore, had no idea about cycling, really, and thought that, as in Sam's words, I thought Sean Kelly was a sports centre. <laughs> yeah, because there's this, there's this tiny little sports centre just on the outskirts of town with this kind of like wobbly sign where like half the letters are falling off. <laughs> I always think about it's like when you have that ego trip for, for Sir Chris Hoy and Garrett Thomas and the velodromes they have. Named Having after. buildings named One after One day you. they'll have no idea who you are. They'll just be like, oh, I'm going to Chris Hoy. Going to Garrett Thomas. Exactly, yeah. It's like, you don't, it's not a human. <laughs> it's just a building. <laughs> so exactly right. So Sam said, I've just dropped, yeah, Sean Kelly. I thought he was just a sports centre. And by the way, that sports centre is hilarious because you go there, there's this big, like, sign outside in a, in a kind of Gaelic sh- script. Sean Kelly Sports Centre. <laughs> like that. And as I say, like, a couple of the letters are a bit loose and hanging at slightly wobbly angles. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there's a car park. And then there's this building that looks like a 1950s motel. With slightly kind of unorthodox roof angles and things. This is but, full partridge. But it's not, a, it doesn't look like, you're, you're looking at it, you're going, where's the hall? Where are the pitches? Where's anything? Like, and you're wondering genuinely, what sports do they play in there? Like, uh, bridge? <laughs> like, maybe a bit of pool? Are any of the rooms big enough to put a pool table in there? I've no idea. But, so it's very funny. Anyway, Sam was great. Sam was really good, really funny, really interesting as well, David, about his, um, just sorry to talk cycling for a second, but he was really interesting um, talking about how he... Patrick? How he, how he, no, we didn't really get into that. I mean, we did off the record, but that was off the record. Um, So, uh, but no, he's talking about how he, he's, in the last three or four years, his training has completely switched because Mm. he used to concentrate everything in his training used to be about concentrating on the sprint, you know, delivering the 1500 watts mm-hmm. or whatever it is at the, at the necessary moment and building up all that power mm-hmm. plus muscle mass and all that kind of thing associated with it. And then he kind of flicked and thought, well, what if I just work much more on endurance, actually slim down a bit and, um, and as a consequence arrive, especially on grand tours, arrive at the finish line, that bit fresher, than all my rivals mm. that's another way of wi- that's another way of winning yeah. right and it's obviously worked for sam massively over the last few years but yet it runs as far as i understand it runs completely counter to what cav has been doing of late um which he's is going back, he's going short and fast and yeah he's kind of practicing not worrying about your food because he always used to just from what i understand cav used to be when he was at his height of his powers physiologically such such a freak that he used to just do kind of endurance miles and just get the, you know, get the club. But yeah. now he's practicing specifically on sprinting. So he's kind of doing the opposite of, of what Sam's yeah. doing. It's really interesting. I think, I think one thing with, with Mark Cavendish, you have to remember, he's an absolute outlier. So you can't, and this is often what happens in sport. And even I'm getting back into training and seeing the different things. We all follow um, patterns. We follow success. But actually often, the biggest success from, comes from people who just learn to do what works for them. And often it's not what fits in the system. It's a really weird thing because, because Mark Cavendish it's I can't get my head around him. He breaks all the rules and in order, often the people that win the most break all the rules and because they just decide, well, I'm not going to follow the system because the system doesn't work because we are not, um, there is no such thing as an average human. We're all very different. So you've got to find what works for you. And that's my little, um, that's my little insight to kind of yeah. how things are. Yeah. Because at the moment, all the, all the science at the moment is based on an average human and all the data they're collecting is still based on averages and standards. Whereas uh, as human beings, we are not average. Mm. We each have our kind of abilities that have to be, you have to find them, and they do tend to break the rules and have the confidence to break the rules and do it is, is what makes you one of the greats. 
Um, so that's my physiological kind uh, and psychologically advice. psychologically if you hit upon a if you hit upon a methodology that in which you place all your trust and all your belief that that's where you find an, an extra 10% isn't it because that's where you beat the system yeah you beat the system because everyone's in the same system mm. so you have to have the confidence to 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 make the big step and go you know what rather than going on to try and be Everyone always t- tells you to train what you're not good at. Um, where, whereas actually maybe just train what you're really good at and just just do that. And and this is where we've spoken about this before, Ned. And this is where with children when you're growing up is try and train to do everything you're not good at. And then at one point you decide to do something well, then commit fully to that and decide how you will do it well. And you rip the rule book up, and it's um, it's a really interesting concept, but it breaks the rules of how we are these days with ten thousand hours. It's like oh, do this or go and do that. Basically, it's about having the confidence to be different. Yeah. And and we're in an algorithmic world. Uh, we're getting conditioned to do different things, but actually, no greatness has ever been accomplished by doing something that somebody's done before. Mm, mm. So, you I think we're in. A, think I think we're, the, the sport that we love is in really interesting flux at the moment, isn't it? Where this kind of thinking mm. is much more allowable or much more prevalent, or almost being encouraged mm. now. Whereas it does make me think. Well, it does make me think. If you rewind ten years, that we were in quite grey times, really, weren't they? They were quite grey. <laughs> ah, it was just bland. Yeah, and I was. I mean, I loved. I loved them. I loved them. But thinking, uh, yeah. thinking back. That's just because I love bike racing, but think, yeah. thinking back, yeah, in comparison to now, they were quite they were quite locked down. And- it's, it's, beca- it's, it's because you've got now um, the the spectrum of con- of experience. When we look at uh, Milan, was it uh, Milan Turin, where uh, Pogaccia had out 140 k's ago, 120 k's ago, wasn't it? Um, uh, t- uh, t- uh, Tirreno Adriatico, wasn't it? Wasn't it? No, he did a, the the one day classic towards the end. Oh, of the I didn't season. watch that. Milano Torino, did he? Yeah, right. Milano Torino. He like went out like 120 k's just to go. because 140 yeah. k's uh, just because. I didn't see that. And you were like, "That's what you should be doing." Hmm. And he's like, "Why aren't we doing?" That? And he's ripping. Yeah, he's just ripping the rule book up. Yeah. So it's forcing that changes everything. Yeah. When he starts to race the way, he, so he's controlling. He's decided to change racing. Hmm. And that's a pretty nuts thing to do mm. because most of us were conditioned to do what we trained for the races. Yeah. He is making the races how he, how his physios- physiology works. And that's a, that's a paradigm shift Yeah, to rather, to go rather than go, Oh, well the races to this, we need to train for the race and how everyone else races. Maybe uh-huh. because my body's like this and I can do this. Maybe I'll train myself to do stuff and rip everything up and test people huh. with a fi- with a five year plan yeah. to just keep messing people up. Yeah. And that's a that's a total paradigm shift, and I think it's really encouraging. And that's how all younger athletes should think. You're not coming in to train, and it's a Paul Smith quote actually. The you don't become the job; the job becomes you. So, if the job becomes you, why don't you own the job? Hmm. It's like start to go, well, I know I'm going to be a, a pro cyclist and I'm not going to do this. Why don't I change the race to how I can do it well? I like and, it. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. And that's, and it's a, it's a complete paradigm shift. Yeah. And, and it changes. And then even the sports scientists can't keep up. Mm. Even the teams can't keep up the, the investment. Nobody can keep up. If one athlete decides to change the game, you change the game. Because ultimately, it's the athletes that decide, and it's a beautiful concept. And I, I'm I'm a big advocate for believing that's possible. And it does. It really chimes with my little um, journey of exploration through Irish cycling history. Mm. Because the next the next day, I was with Sean Kelly. You know, and if ever there was a man who would have attacked 120 kilometers out, it was yeah. it was Sean. You know, the last of that mm. great generation. Um, in some ways. Uh, he was brilliant, as he always is. Um, but the deeper I went into this story, um, the more I learned about the cultural significance of the 
much mourned because it's gone away. The last time it was raced in, was in 2018. Um, how do you pronounce it correctly? I think it's Ross, and apologies to anyone who speaks um, Irish, because I don't. The Ross Talchen, uh, which is the, the Ross. You know, it's the, it's the Irish stage race that existed uh, uninterruptedly pretty much for decades. Um, and it is interwoven and bound up with a sense of Irish national identity. It has, mm. without going into it uh, in great detail, it has kind of overtones of... Um, republicanism you know that's that's very interesting in itself when the border first kind of disrupted the way that uh, the irish story mm. developed that's really interesting and totally unique i can't think of a single parallel anywhere in the world with that um but i was but i stumbled across this story that's you know it's not an unknown story but i can guarantee there'd be very few of our listeners who know the story of mick murphy the winner of the ross no. in 1958 who was, like many winners of the Ross, like Sean, in some ways, he was, although even even kind of even more hardship than Sean's life, which was hard enough, um, Mick Murphy was born into County Cork um, poverty, really. He was a itinerant labourer, farm worker, worked, you know, cutting bog. That's like poor over poor. Yeah, I mean, kind of like really like hand to mouth and like spent... Mm. Spent a lot of his young life as a vagrant, really. And his, his mother taught mm. him circus mm. tricks to survive and beg on the street, you know, and turn mm. tricks on the street so he could um, swallow fire and do stuff like that. Um, mm. But all the while, he was, he was developing these kind of homespun, mad... He was great belief in his sporting ability. And um, mm. he turns up at the RAS as a fully-fledged um, hard man beyond belief in 1958 stole a, a, a minute's lead on the race midway through the race um and then <laughs> and then on a stage into his home county of cork um he was off the front and then all the big dublin teams were trying to ride him down and he punctured and they they and or he had a mechanical and they passed him and started to gap him and not content with that in no team support or whatever he just put his bike cyclocross style on the back on his back like that and he had this massive upper body and he just ran after them <laughs> down the mountains for kilometer after kilometer until he stopped by the side of the road because a farmer hearing what had gone on had come out of his driveway and had a girl's bike that was working or a woman's bike that he gave to Mick and Mick just jumped on that and left his own bike there. And by the time they got to Cork, he caught them <laughs> on this kind of wholly inappropriate bike. But Mick, Mick was an absolute sensation, right? He had these extraordinary, extraordinary lifestyle, extraordinarily expressive vocabulary and this kind of like completely homespun philosophy. I mean, he died a few years ago. Um, but he used to, at the end of stages, sometimes he used to go to a, for a 40 mile ride after the stage. Um, and when he finished... He carried a penknife with him and he used to jump into um, a field where there were cattle. Cut himself. No, cattle was worse. It's weird than that. Cattle grazing. And he used to, he believed in this. He used to just nick the veins of one of the cows, cows and siphon off some of the blood and drink the blood. He called it, literally, this is my transfusion. <laughs> he, was a, wow. he was a genuine kind of massive eccentric and finished that race having crashed on the, the next day after that big adventure and suffering clearly from the most appalling concussion so bad that at the end of one of the stages i mean his, his behavior was so erratic at this point that one of the stages they called paramedics to take him off to hospital to examine him and he tried to punt and he was massively like he's a fighter he, was a, he used to be a prize fighter he was punching them all and trying to get them off him because he thought they were tagged. he thought they were body snatchers you know mm. um uh, but the Ross is is just kind of stuffed full of characters like this. I absolutely love the yeah. story of of Irishman. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. You know, you know what's very interesting about hearing that story because uh, last weekend I did this run with my wife. Yeah, what was that all about? Um, so there's this, and it's really been really interesting for me because obviously I'm immersed in cycling and uh, in many different ways, and the running world is is a totally foreign world to me. But when I I do appreciate and and do love. I've run a bit. You've run a, you've but, run the New York Marathon in a very good time. I've run David. The New York Marathon. Yeah. Yes, I've done a, my sub three hour to New York Marathon. But um, there's this group called the Pigeons Runners in Spain, and they do these crazy things just for the sake of them. So you told us about this on the pod before, didn't you? The the the, um, yeah. the amazing run they did. So, but, the, but yeah. when I was yeah. over in 
this... Girona recently. Nicole was talking about this run, wasn't she? Planning it. Yeah. So one of the guys, the leader, Marcel, um, and he, he's the same age as me, and he's got a good business, does his things, he's a designer, and they did the TSP, the Speed Project, before. It was really interesting. And he came out of that, and that was eight weeks ago, and I think two weeks, a week after, he was like, I want to run from Madrid to Barcelona. Yeah, that's... Is anyone up for it? I mean, that's... And uh, I was like, well, that's insane. But I said to Nicole, you should do it. Get on that, because that's going to be amazing. <laughs> and and I said to them, I'll, I'll drive. I'll, I'll drive your camping car. Yeah. And um, it ended up being uh, a lot of work for those guys. Not doing it for no sponsorship, nothing. Just just did it for the sake of it. And six people, uh, five guys, my wife, so six teams. So she was the only woman involved. And they started at 6.30 a.m. on Saturday morning. Uh, yeah, it was Saturday morning at Kilometer Zero in Barcelona, in Madrid, which is where all the roads radiate from that point. And then they ran to Barcelona, which was 682 kilometers. Oh, my God. And did it nonstop. Did it nonstop in 48 hours. And I was driving the camping car, and it was just a constant relay. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever been involved in. Hang on. Kind of blew the doors off. 680 kilometers they ran in relay in 48 hours. Yeah. They, they averaged four, four minutes 15 per kilometer. Okay, so if anyone who doesn't know running... That's very, very fast. That's for most. It's I mean, it's fast. just a hugely. Oh, so wow. what was what was pretty what was pretty nuts in the first night? Um, uh, it was really tiring, and and it was Nicole's birthday, which nobody knew. And I was watching her; she was running, getting out because I would drive the camping car, drop somebody off, they start running, I go ahead of them, and then drop somebody else off. They do a hand slap literally high five that person would jump back in you'd then move across and we were doing one one kilometer 1.5 two kilometer max turns if it was a steep uphill 500 meters so it was constant rotation for 48 hours uh and nicole in the first night was just falling asleep between her turns and i was and i felt really bad i was being i didn't want to wake her up but the team were like wake her up they treated her as just another guy. And I thought that's so cool. It was, she was just one of the team. But then the second night, which was pretty intense, it, it just it came down to three of them. And it was uh, Marcel, Raul and Campos. And they were doing this rotation. They were doing 1.5 kilometer turns. And it was raining and it was dark. And it was, we were in the middle of bloody nowhere. And, I was driving the camping car. Everyone was asleep, passed out in different places. And I was like, this is so cool. It was just beautiful because they were beautiful runners. And it was, and I was, this is why I got into cycling, was doing random stuff like this. Mm -hmm. No, there were no crowds, no, no journalists. There was no other teams. They were just trying to do something. And I and they were doing it really well and very fast and very very organised. And I was like, "This is I want to do this." And it reminded me how I got into cycling, doing random crazy stuff like that. And they did it forty eight hours. They did they did it from Madrid to Barcelona in forty eight hours, which is pretty nuts. Okay, so we've been here before on this podcast. At this point in our uh, recording, um, David Miller's batteries failed and the rest of uh, our <laughs> the following five or six minutes simply weren't recorded. Um, so we did try again uh, to recreate the magic of those last five or six minutes. Um, this time David recorded his end absolutely perfectly and I somehow managed uh, to leave my microphone on mute. And so when I tried to edit it, uh, nothing Nothing was there. Um, so we have tried twice to finish this podcast, and this is my third attempt uh, to finish it, um, uh, which I'll do very briefly. The only thing that w you missed out on that I would like to mention is, one, uh, a, a massive thank you to Sandy Radford, who provided us with a, an audio jingle, um, a bit like our first ever kind of local radio jingle, reminding 
um, not just you, but also us, because we could never remember it, of what the email address is um, that uh, we would like you to email your audio contributions to us at. And it's this. H-I-W-T-Y-J at gmail.com. So thank you very much, Sandy. It's absolutely brilliant. We're going to use that uh, repeatedly. And do send us some, you know, whatever you want, really. We love the old audio contributions. and Invariably, we end up using them. They're, they're good fun. It really doesn't matter, as you'll have gathered by now, what they're about. Um, although, what we had decided, what was kind of missing from the from the from the recordings that you're not going to hear now because we managed to screw them up was I uh, was reminded having listened to what David was talking about of this extraordinary run of the line from the W. B. Yeats poem um, "An Irish Airman Foresees His Death." I was reminded of the line um, "A Lonely Impulse of Delight," um, and we decided it would be really interesting to hear what your lonely impulses of delight in a sporting sense in a sporting sense have been. Um, and whether they conjure up any memories for you. L-I-O-D's, Lonely Impulses of Delight, at this email address, uh, the one that Sandy's just said. And the only other thing was, we alluded to it before, Pete Kenyuk's, um really interesting video film, film, short film, 16 minutes long, about um, the way that he came to an end of his cycling career and how he feels about that is massively worth watching. Um, it's uh, it's the real Pete and it's a beautiful film and um, here's a little clip from it the one thing that's always bugged me is closure and closure with cycling because I'd never had it you know the last race retirement this is it and it's closed closed book well for me it wasn't it was it all just it all just happened and before I knew it I wasn't cycling anymore you know the link to the film is in the show notes thoroughly recommend you go along and listen to that and in the meantime um, it's just me signing off today because um, that's the way it's going to end and it ends not with a bang but me saying thank you and goodbye Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 